Welcome, everyone, to the Asian Voices Radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and today we're going to be talking about choosing happiness with my very special guest, Dr. Marissa Pei. Dr. Marissa is an inspirational speaker, TV commentator, on-air personality, as she is known as the Asian Oprah. She's an author and life balance coach. She also speaks to hundreds of Fortune 500 companies in the past 27 years. She's a former graduate school professor who has gone from teaching to speaking and writing and uh, commentating on a variety of life balance topics. And she loves talking about happiness. Please welcome Dr. Marissa Pay to the show. How are you doing, Dr. Pay? I'm happy. Thank you, Hula. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to talk to you, especially during the time that we're living in right now, because I feel like we all need to choose happiness, especially uh, what we've all gone through the past couple of years. But before we even talk about that, Let's start from the very beginning. Can you share with us your story? How did Dr. Marissa Pei begin? Well, I was born in a very small, homogenous, largest German settlement outside of Germany, little town in Canada, in Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario. And so when I was born, I realized that I did not look like everybody else. And unfortunately, I learned, like many Asians who grow up in a non-Asian community, that I look different. And I remember just asking one thing, which was to look like the girl next door. I didn't like looking different. I didn't like being treated different. I didn't like being called Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. And so for a very long time, I would be embarrassed and unhappy about the fact that I was Chinese. And when people would say, are you Hawaiian? I would actually lie and say yes, because Hawaiians were cool. But Chinese, and with the last name spelt P-E-I, which was often pronounced Pi or P or Poo, mm. uh, it was it was tough. And yeah. my dad, my beloved dad, would say, I should never have left China. And so that was kind of the unhappy setting that I grew up with as far as being Asian is concerned. And then I also grew up with a tiger mom on steroids who believed in her heart that if she called me fat, ugly, and clumsy, that it would motivate me to not be fat, ugly, and clumsy. So those two major... uh, uh, let's say, the environments that I grew up in were absolutely fabulous manufacturers of unhappiness. (laughs) So so I learned the contrast very, very early. Well, yeah, you had to deal with like a lot of uh, Asians that grew up in a time where not only were you, I guess, having to identify as being Asian and deal with the outside world and have them having to try to figure out what you were, but you had to deal with the old school, you know, your parents and your, your relatives and also, you know, follow the, the Asian, I guess, you know, lifestyle. So it was definitely a struggle for you, right? Well, it was, it, you know, I think any first generation, any first generation 
um, Asian who grows up in a culture that's different than their own uh, struggles with this because you have your foot in two worlds and you're not really accepted in either world. So I wasn't alone. You know, I was a CBC, Canadian-born Chinese, just as I'm sure you were an a uh, ABC, Asian-born, uh, actually, you're Filipino, so right. a, I guess that would be ABP. <laughs> but uh, it was, it was, it was very clear that differences were not okay, and right. that's the, you know, that's the contrast. So, you know, it, it, growing up like that, when you feel like you don't belong, is not an uncommon uh, occurrence for anyone who's growing up. They don't have to be Asian. They can be anything that, you know, they're different in. And it's something that human beings struggle with. And so um, without jumping to the solution, I don't know if you're ready for the <laughs> solution or not. If, you've, if, you've, if, you've, if you're done with my childhood, um, my, my reaction to to all of this difference equals bad was to try to find love in approval. So it just com uh, compelled me to be the best at everything, to be the youngest to do everything, to prove everyone wrong. And so that perfectionistic personality was the direct result of childhood uh, dysfunction. And it's also very common for kids who have uh, been raised with childhood trauma to fall into that perfectionistic trap. If I am just good enough, if I can get just enough respect, then I will be okay and I will be happy. So I went that route, like many of us, and First to achieve this, you know, the shortest time to get a PhD, the first one to get awards, blah, 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 blah. And as a result of that, on the outside, I looked like I had it made. But on the inside, every time somebody said, oh, you're so great. Is there anything you don't do? And I don't, haha, I don't cook and clean. I make reservations. And uh, <laughs> you're so nice. And thank you for the compliment. But inside, the voice would say, you're really not all that. Who do you think you are? You're fat, ugly, and clumsy. You don't, you're not worthy. You know, if people found out what you were really like, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't like you. And so again, like many of us, and this is now my mission, um, it's, it's for the seven out of 10 of us, psychology, uh, says in, in research that it's seven out of 10 of us have grown up with childhood trauma of some kind. Right. My honorable moniker, Oprah, says it's as high as eight out of 10. There are some psychologists today that say it's as high as 93% children that grow up in situations where they are not nurtured. And in fact, they are, um, they are be treated cruelly. So I was one of those majority. I'm one of the seven out of 10 or eight out of 10. If you, if you, um, uh, 
follow my honorable moniker. And on that side, you said I was called the Asian Oprah. Some people think that I made that up. So let me just clarify that I was actually introduced to Oprah as the Asian Oprah by Michael Bernard Beckwith. Mm -hmm. So uh, just so people don't think that I, because, you know, once again, I hold that Asian cultural uh, underlying shame that I'm not supposed to stand up and be seen or be noticed as anything above average. And so that's one of the reasons why I explain myself that way. Still, it's, you know, it's a hard habit to break. But I do know that when I came face to face with the fact that I was one of the seven out of 10 who've had childhood trauma, why is it that if we're the majority, why do we think there's something wrong with us? Exactly. So for, for anybody that's listening, who's always felt like they don't belong, or they're never going to get ahead or they need to be fixed or they're going to have to go through a lifetime therapy to even be at par with those who had a healthy childhood. My, my, my message to you is, you know, it's all a, a pile of BS. It's a belief system that keeps us Uh, thinking that we are not good enough, thinking that we need to catch up, thinking that we'll never catch up. And so I had to take a good look at the role of pain in life. So I found that pain in life is mandatory, but suffering from it is optional. So if you're listening now and you can relate to the kind of childhood I had, and let me tell you right now, sweetheart, that whatever you were accused of, whatever you were beat up for, whatever you were hurt for, whatever you were neglected for was absolutely not your fault. You did nothing wrong as a child to warrant that kind of treatment. And it is not great that that happened. However, you had no responsibility at that time, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, but you do have a responsibility and a choice right now at this moment to decide whether you want to continue seeing life through the eyes of the child that was hurt or if you're going to take the most powerful tool you have called choice and say, you know what? I don't understand why that happened, but I'm going to ask myself a different question. Instead of saying, why did this happen to me? I'm going to ask the question, what did this do for me? And that's a pivotal choice question. It's, it leads me to my mission, happy 88 mission, 8 million more happy, 88 million more happy people in the next eight years, because there's so many unhappy people out there who believe without a shadow of a doubt that they're screwed for the rest of their life because of what happened. Mm -hmm. And you can choose that. You can blame people in your past for the rest of your life. And you have every reason to you, you, you can be righteously indignant, but what is that going to do with your now? What is that going to do with your future? So I have a mission. I have a message that says, sweetheart, Right now, you're not that kid. Right now, you have a choice to treat yourself in a way that you were never treated before. And I learned this 
through a very difficult uh, um, marriage because I picked, like many of us who had childhood trauma, I picked a mate who resembled the kind of childhood I had. I picked a man who did not love me because that's all I knew. I knew what it was like to be ignored. I knew what it was like to be not valued. So I picked a man who just fell into that role. And so it was a difficult divorce. But what I realized when I was married to him, I had one pivotal moment. People always ask me, you know, what, what was that? What was that, um, that burning bush moment? And the right. moment was I was working full time, traveling a lot, making the money. He was home. He didn't like to work. I picked a man who didn't like to work. And I was gone for a week. I walked in the TV room and he didn't even look up, did wow. not even look up to acknowledge me. And so I was so livid. I stomped up the stairs, dove under the covers, crying the same broken record cry that I'd been doing for the last decades of years. I'm ageless, so I'm not going to tell you exactly how old I am. You are ageless. (laughs) For decades of years, I had been crying the same cry. I had been saying, how, why doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he attend to me? Why doesn't he treat me well? Why isn't he affectionate? Why isn't he attentive? Why doesn't he ask me what I want? Why doesn't he listen to me? Why doesn't he understand me? And when I took a breath, all of a sudden, the skies opened, the thunder sounded, And a voice cried down to me saying, hey, you, do you listen to yourself? Do you know what you like? Do you know what you want? Do you know how great you are? Do you credit yourself and approve of yourself for who you are? Do you? And it was like this, oh my God, literally. Wow. This entire time in my life, I'd been pointing my finger and blaming my mom and blaming my husband and blaming everyone outside of me for how I felt. And in that moment, I realized that famous, you know, one finger pointed out is three fingers pointed back at me, that I had abdicated my own choice of seeing myself for who I really was. I let other people define me. And the buck stops right over here. And at that moment was when I began the journey to me, to the point where right now I kind of like myself. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a piece of shiitake. I'm not hot shiitake. I'm just 88% pretty good shiitake. I'm a pretty good person 88% of the time. I'm fabulous 88% of the time. I'm happy 88% of the time. I still cut myself some slack 12% of the time. I screw up 12% of the time. I eat what I shouldn't eat 12% of the time. I say things I shouldn't say 12% of the time. I, I, uh, I, I want to be mean. That's Mm -hmm. not who I am. But 12% of the time, I feel like being mean. So I I had to come to this journey. And this journey is outlined in my number one bestselling book, Eight Ways to Happiness from Wherever You Are, because I wasn't supposed to write this book. 
I didn't want, I, that wasn't part of the plan, but this book had to be written because it's a guide. It's a guide for anyone who is not feeling good about themselves because self-hatred, self-loathing, self-unliking, self-unapproval is the dis-ease that is taking everyone down on the planet right now. We can never get to world peace if we do not have some level of inner peace. That's why at, at the end of every one of my shows, I say peace in, peace out, world peace through inner peace. I just got Mayor Eric Garcetti. He asked me to teach him that because he liked it so much. And I had a soundbite with him a couple of weeks ago. And and it's true. I believe it's possible to have world peace even now, but it starts with the majority of us being able to be okay 88% of the time with ourselves. And if you're a perfectionist, you cannot be okay with yourself because you're always looking for the next win that's never going to be good enough. And I'll be happy when I have this or do this or have this or this relationship or whatever. You'll never be happy. But so see, here's what, the- here's what I want to ask you though, because you say, you know, and, and trust me, growing up, quote unquote, Asian, I was always, you know, my, my parents always said, you need to have the best grades. You need, need to be the number one in class. You need to be the valedictorian. You need to be the one that shines the brightest. So when you're fed that through your life growing up, how can you easily break that chain of events to say, you know what, you don't have to be a perfectionist. How does somebody do that in your opinion? One one breath at a time, one day at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that proverbial. It's a muscle, right? You have to break. It takes twenty eight days to break a a, a bad habit, and twenty eight days to uh, start a good habit. And and it's not fighting against it. See, this is one of the problems with with um, therapy is that you know, and I do coaching, and I make a big distinction between the two because I don't think you need to to continue to revisit all of that all the time there's at a certain point it's changing the question so instead of saying you know how do I uh, stop um, that message of you know I need to be this I need to be that I need and and rail against that I say go with it Mm -hmm. I say you know what thank you mom and dad for motivating me to be the best that I could be and when I'm at peace with that, I'm not pissed off at them anymore. Right. I can accept that message as them doing the very best that they could. So here's the ticket. If I can forgive, and forgiveness has nothing to do with condoning something or they deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is for you. Wouldn't it be great if you stop hating the people that you hate? Wouldn't it be great Absolutely. to stop blaming the people that you blame? Wouldn't it be great if you just said everybody does the very best that they can? If they could do better, they would, but they can't. Right. So, yes, I'm going to try the best that I can. But when I get 90%, I'm not going to beat myself up because here's the deal. We have created now our own monsters. So our internal critic is way worse than our parents ever were. Because we right. take all of that criticism and then we, at, then we say, ooh, what was the last time someone insulted me? And we collect those insults and we collect all of the bad things and we create this creature in us called the critic 
And that's who our enemy is. It's not our parents. It's not that message. It is if you get 99 compliments and one insult, guess where your head goes? Yep. You have a habit of being attracted to that one insult. So what we need to do, there's an African-American saying that is just brilliant. I love it to death. It says, you ready? Hula? Ready. You ready? I'm ready. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> I'm bringing it. You get ready to drop the mic. When there is no enemy within, then no one outside of us can hurt us. Oh, I love that. I love that. Right? I love that. If there is no enemy within, then no one outside can hurt us. That's why one of my number one Happy 88 tools in the book and in my teaching and my speaking is called bake your own cake. Ooh. So when you bake your own cake, you are the boss of you. You put in a third spoonful of kindness and a dash of sarcasm and whatever it is that you are. And you know that's who you are no matter what happens. If you get a compliment, that's icing. If you get an insult, that's icing. Right. It has nothing to do with the cake. But we've got to own our own cake because so many of us are walking around with antenna going, who loves me? How many likes am I getting? Who's commenting on my stuff? Who knows me? You know, who sees me? And all of that is so externally focused that we are on very shaky ground. You've got to bake your own cake. You can't have a cake that is just icing. It's gross. It'll make you sick. Yeah, no, I love what you're saying and I, I love your message because the whole that's something that was my Nexus event was I was bullied just like you. I was raised in a way that I had to be the best. And finally I had to turn the mirror and look at myself and go, dude, it's you that controls this. You need to stop being the victim. And I tell my kids that all the time. I know you're hurt. It's okay for you to be sad, but don't be the victim because in the end you can control your own happiness. And that's what I love about your whole being is that you project this. Now, I mean, we're living in a time right now, we've gone through the pandemic, you know, where hopefully we are able to, we're coming out of it slowly, but there's been a lot of damage in regards to those likes you talk about in regards to being sheltered all this time. It's almost like we have to restart or redo over ourselves. What would you suggest to somebody who's coming out of this? And especially with like all this Asian hate that's around and all of this negativity that's around, how can I break that? When there is no enemy within, nothing outside can hurt you. Mm -hmm. Same message. It's not what happened to you. It's what happened for you. If this situation, nothing changed about it, what did it develop in you exactly as it was? If you can just quit fighting the conditions that you're in, yeah, so elderly Asians are getting beat up. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. Now, am I going to now take on that fear as a mantle? Because I'm Asian? Hell no. Right. I'm going to use my platform to interview uh, and attend an AAPI rally last weekend and have um, uh, one of the, the, the gentlemen who, Cesar Achano, who got punched in the face by a young white male in 
um, Kenneth, no, uh, Don Canavi Park. And I had him on my show to talk about, and you know what he's doing? He's helping other elders. There's now a 211 number to call for hate crimes. There's, there's right. now different Asian groups. Uh, Jordan Mendoza was on my show. He's got Asian with attitudes and uh, the 211, and he's part of a motorcycle gang, which is like totally, you know, out of stereotype that that's uh, uh, protecting and, and, and helping, you know, the, the, the woman that was attacked in a ranch 99. Oh, there's yeah. things that we can do. There's no reason to take all what's happened. So, yes, the pandemic sucked. Yes, it wasn't fair. No one asked for it. It wasn't a punishment. It's not a conspiracy. It just happened. But I can choose to say, well, you know what? Hashtag COVID silver lining. I now know better what's important to me than I did before. Maybe I don't need that job that I have to drive an hour to and an hour from Maybe I want something, uh, a new employer who, who, wants, who has a hybrid model for working so I can have more quality of life. Uh, maybe I, you know, maybe I've learned that the job that I hated, hashtag BC19, the time before COVID is what I'm calling it. <laughs> uh, I hated that job. Maybe, maybe I want to, I was just asked to, to write for LinkedIn, hashtag create meaning. So companies before, used to have meaningful work. People were proud of working at the company. Now, how many people are proud of where they work? You know, uh, 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 working for shareholder value is not sexy. You know, companies, C-suite level executives need to do a little more work. That's the work I do as an organizational psychologist in connecting why they're, what they're doing with their product or service is of benefit to people. And if that's true, then people will want to work for your company. You know, hashtag COVID silver lining. We've got a place now where people, there's a labor shortage, which is kind of good because right. companies have to relook at what they're doing. I know a bunch of millennials that are looking for companies who don't just do good things after they make the profit, but they actually have good works built in like Tom's. Right. Right. Th that are built into the company. And that's where people want to work. So, you know, there's a lot of good that came out of this. And if you can just quit feeling sorry for yourself, quit looking for for, you know, what's wrong. Start looking for what's right and what you can be grateful for. And still, you know, we are still in America in the top three percent of the world in terms of what we have. So there's just so much to be grateful for. Take a bite of my gratitude sandwich. If you feel bad about what's going on, if you're feeling sorry for yourself, take a bite of my gratitude sandwich. Eight things you're specifically grateful in the morning instead of scrolling through your stupid phone looking for bad news. Sorry, tough no, love. No, I love it. I <laughs> and love then, it. <laughs> and, then, and then at the end of the night, instead of ruminating over who did you wrong and who insulted you, Think of eight things that you appreciate about yourself. Do the work. There's exercises in my book that if you do all the exercises, I promise you will never hate yourself the same way again. Speaking, it all starts with you. Speaking about your book, where what is the name of the book again and where can people find it also <laughs> as far as your shows? Where can people find you because you have – 
you have, I mean, uh, you're about to drop the mic. You pretty much have dropped the mic this whole interview. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Thank if you. people want to know more about you and your philosophy, where can we find you? All right. So uh, if you just Google Dr. Marissa, you'll find me. But my virtual home where you can sign up for the 21-day fast from complaining, there's another easy, cheap way. You pay $21. You don't complain for 21 days in a row, and I give you $42. If you don't make it, you're uh, donating to my nonprofit called Eight Ways to Happiness that helps kids, teens, and young adults who have temporarily forgotten their birthright to happiness. So it's for good cause. You also, if you sign up uh, to be part of my Happy 88 tribe, you get a free happy tip sheet with easy ways to bring more happiness in your life. I do have an award-winning syndicated show. I don't know if I told you, Hulu, I just got promoted. So I went from a once-a-week primetime slot on my CNBC, NBC News Radio channel, KCAA, from once a week, they just made me the morning host. So I'm on every morning from eight to nine drive time on AM 1050. I think you can even get me down in San Diego, but it covers 5 million homes in Southern California, but you can always stream by kcaaradio.com or go to my YouTube channel where I house all 481 consecutive weeks of my show. That is, you know, the easiest way if you would subscribe to YouTube channel. On Instagram, I'm Doc Balance, D-O-C Balance. Everywhere else, I am Dr. Marissa or Dr. Marissa Pay. All the LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And, uh, you know, I just, I want to fulfill my mission. It was $8 million, actually, uh, in the next eight years, but I had to change it because we were already at $6 million <laughs> and I need a bigger goal. So wow. now we're at $88 million, largely to, you know, because of, of the, uh, I was interviewed on CBC, no, what is it? Um, the number one Philippine channel, oh, ABS-CBN. Yes, ABS-CBN, correct, yes. Yeah, so that brought me to six million because there were two million uh, that watched that show. Wow! So, and then I had another two and a half million in China before COVID grounded everything. But again, I I have I I my my motto for my future is is um, don't die wondering, and my motto for my past is no regrets. And that's how I live my life. And I, every single one of the 7.3 million of us, billion of us out there is uniquely one of a kind, wonderful. And it is my job to, to get you to drink that <laughs> rose colored Kool-Aid. <laughs> and because, it's, because it just feels better. I it just feels better. So that's my wish for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm drinking it right now. I love everything about what you're doing <laughs> and, and your message. And I am going to, now that my eyes are open, I want to try the 21 day without complaining because I, I definitely, there's too much negativity in this world and, and I bring part of it. I am, you know, a part of that. So I want to try to be not negative for 21 days. Great. So I love to have I'm you. Only, only four 
people have completed that fast. Three women and one man. So get ready. We need some. I'm getting. Um, I'm coming yeah. in. I'm coming in to do that. Well, thank you so yeah. much for joining us today, Dr. Marissa Pay. And to learn more about today, you're you, welcome. And to learn more about today's show, please visit us at AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Hula Ramos, and on behalf of my very special guest, Dr. Marissa Pay, we'd like to thank you for listening and join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until next time, everyone.